we got to talk about Devin Booker. We obviously have to talk about what's going on right now with Jokic, with the owner of the Suns. But Devin Booker, I mean, 36 points again, 14 of 18 shooting, 6 rebounds and 12 assists. Just unreal. And that's coming off a 47-point perform, uh, performance where he was 20 of 25 from the floor. So just absolutely ridiculous. And then uh, Kevin Durant, he's been all right, too. To talk about that and more, we welcome on now John Bloom, Suns Radio postgame host and play-by-play broadcaster. John, how are you doing? Thanks so much for joining us here on a Monday night. Oh, thanks for having me, guys. It's uh, good to be with you. We just landed uh, in Denver about an hour ago. The team is uh, practicing down the street at the arena, and uh, I got to check in and uh, come over here and talk hoops with you, so I'm looking forward to it. Now, uh, be honest, how are you feeling heading into Game 3 uh, before Devin Booker goes off for 47 points, and then again yesterday, 36 on 14 of 18 shooting? But did you think this team was in trouble just because, obviously, you have Kevin Durant, you have Devin Booker, but... It almost kind of feels like, or felt like, this team was trying to like figure things out on the fly. No doubt, uh, you know, because it's almost uh, unparalleled territory for a team to put together. Uh, you know, this group uh, when you have a, a star like Kevin Durant, you know, joining a team this late in the game, and and the fact that he was injured when they got him obviously kept him from playing for a while. Then he finally joined them, uh, and then uh, got nicked up. So they had to, you know, kind of watch it and make sure that he was ready to go when the playoffs came. And that left a lot of us wondering, well, how good can they be? You know, how good is this team? And I think everybody, including the Denver Nuggets, were were wondering that before the series started. And and when the series got started here in the Mile High City, the Nuggets definitely made a statement. I thought they played very, very good basketball. Game one, they ran us out of the gym pretty much. And then game two, uh, you know, it was a different story. We got a little bit uh, murky there for a while. Neither team was really uh, firing offensively. Give credit to both defenses. But then the offenses came alive in the second half, and more so for Denver, the home team. And they rode the wave of their crowd, and they got the job done. And Chris Paul got injured in the third quarter, and that kind of changed the dynamic for the Suns. They, they were able to adjust, but not well enough to, to beat a, a very good Denver team team and I, I don't want to sell that short I do think Denver is legit I mean they were number one for a reason almost the entire season uh, but here we are wondering you know how good could this Devin and Kevin show be and uh, you know during those losses there were you know kind of glimpses of brilliance between them uh, and their supporting cast uh, but then we waited uh, to get back to Phoenix and see if they could get it done at home and they were able to they even the score uh, it was a fascinating couple of games in the valley no doubt about it if you got a chance to watch it I would guess that you would agree with that what do you think the biggest changes were with the supporting cast that sort of flipped the script in terms of how Phoenix was able to compete with Denver who's been one of the deeper teams in the West you know, there's that whole uh, old axiom of the role players always step up at home. Uh, so I guess that, that may have played a role that they were more comfortable at home. But there's another part to this, and that is through this entire process, Monty Williams and his entire coaching staff have been trying to figure out what the best groups are to put on the floor together. It's understandable because you took not just uh, Mikel Bridges, who had a phenomenal season, not just in Phoenix, but also when he went to Brooklyn, and Cam Johnson, uh, two starters off the floor, but you had Jay Crowder not playing all season, and they were used to those three guys playing a huge amount of minutes at the forward spots. Uh, so all season long has been this project of trying to determine which groups work well, and I guess that's part of chemistry, right, on the floor. Uh, and so I give the coaches credit because during the entire season, what they did do uh, was they make sure made sure that everybody was engaged. 
And in that room right now, uh, they've got a lot of different types of, of players. It's not just like replicated, uh, you know, long athletic wings that you see in some markets around the NBA. You go to these teams, you're like, man, they've got like eight of the same guy, right? But in this uh, specific locker room, it's not like that. Uh, every, everybody kind of has their own skill set, and I think that's made it even more challenging for the Suns coaches to figure out when and where to put guys into the lineup. So now they've inserted T.J. Warren and Terrence Ross. Uh, those guys weren't playing against the Clippers in round one, uh, and now they and they weren't playing in Denver, but uh, the last two games in Phoenix, they made a definite impact. Jock Landale as well, stepping in as a backup center to DeAndre Ayton has been huge, uh, and campaign coming back from his injury was obviously Obviously, uh, timely considering now Chris Paul dealing with the hand, with the uh, groin that he's going to be out with again tomorrow night for Game Five. I just found that out right before we jumped on this call. You know, you talk about like the playoff environment being different than you know the regular season, but to me, it feels like what has and maybe you, you can just give me your insight. Since the Chris Paul injury, it feels like the Phoenix Suns want to play with much more pace, which gets them. You know, just out into transition, getting easier buckets versus Chris Paul, who wants to bring the ball up a little bit more methodically, set the offense, and maybe that makes it difficult against a Denver team that's playing really good defense. Do you think that, that that's been like a key piece in terms of getting guys like Campaign who play a little faster, Terrence Ross, who wants to get out into transition as well? Yeah, I mean, I think in essence it was kind of a forced adjustment, wasn't it? Uh, because you had to make a move with no Chris Paul available. So campaign comes in, and he's always been that change of pace guy. You know, he, he uses his speed as a weapon, uh, and he's he's kind of crafty around the hoop. Uh, he likes to get to the basket, but he can also shoot the three, uh, and he's one of those streaky three-point shooters. But th for the most part through this season was a solid three-point shooter. Uh, so you would hope if you're the Suns that he can kind of regain the form he had when he stepped in for an injury. Chris Paul two years ago in the playoffs actually played fantastic ball for the Suns and uh, led them to many wins. Uh, he averaged something like 15 points and eight assists a game, very low turnovers, just like his predecessor in CP3 does. So, uh, you know, the hope is that Chris gets back as soon as possible. I'm not going to try to tell you the Suns are better without one of the best point guards to ever play. Uh, but what it's done is it's made the Nuggets adjust. Uh, to what the Suns are doing with campaign with those hit ahead passes it's not just about Cam you know changing the pace that hit ahead pass that Devin Booker hit Kevin Durant with right before the half last night was massive and they've done that a handful of times on both ends KD hitting Book and Book hitting KD so that's a, a big weapon that I think they'll continue to use with or without Chris Paul on the floor you know and um do you think this is sustainable? I mean, I don't know that Devin Booker is going to be able to shoot 80% from the floor and drop 45 points, but for them to win this series, do you, would you agree they need one big game, I'd say, from DeAndre Ayton, like four points in game two, eight points yesterday on three of six shooting? I know that he probably he misses Chris Paul probably the most, not being able to get put in that pick-and-roll situation, but do you feel like they're going to need him to go off one game, or do you think this is sustainable to win games with just you know Durant, Devin Booker, and then you know, pick your role player off the bench, whether it's Shamet or uh, Landry Shamet or anybody else. Yeah, it's a it's a good question. Right now, I would say that uh, do I think that the Suns can win this series the way they're playing currently? Yes, uh, I think they proved to me the last couple games. You know, you had Nikola Jokic go for fifty three and they still beat him. The game before that, he went for thirty seventeen and seventeen and lost. So to me, yes. Uh, the Nuggets are going to play better tomorrow night in Game 5, I think, than they did in 3 and 4. 
whether they'll play as good as they did in game one, I don't know. I think the Suns are a little bit more prepared. Is Michael Malone going to make adjustments? Because he's sticking with the same eight guys. Everybody was jumping on Monty Williams back to saying, you know, how come the Suns bench isn't contributing? Well, now the Suns are coming off a game where their bench outscored the Nuggets 40-11. to 11, So they'll turn, didn't it? We're talking so much about Devin Booker and Kevin Durant. And is it sustainable? Well, Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic are playing just as many minutes. Is it sustainable for them? So that's why I feel confident that if the Suns can continue to play their game as they played the last couple games, they can get it done against the Nuggets. Now, ask me again who they're playing next. Is it the Warriors? Is it the Lakers? Totally different ball of wax. And we're going to have to see, you know, what the game plan looks like for that next opponent. And I'm just hopeful that we get there. Fiery rhetoric from John Bloom. Yeah, I like hope that. To, hope to continue it. Michael Malone came on in the presser and said that it was ridiculous that Jokic got a technical foul for a very dangerous shove of owner and fan Matt Ishbia. Uh, stripped the ball from his hands. I, I heard you feel just a little differently uh, about that and whether, you know, how, how your take is on that Jokic-Ishbia interaction. I do. I, I mean, I was there, obviously, uh, watched it from my own uh, angle where we broadcast the games from, a little bit above the floor. Uh, you know, my first uh, emotion slash hope was that, that he would not get suspended. I, I just want to get that clear and out, out there that, you know, my hope was that Nikola Jokic is going to play uh, and that the Nuggets are, are fully, you know, a go for game five. It's just as a better product. Uh, these teams have been putting forth their best efforts. It's been classic. It's been an amazing series so far, and I wanted to continue. So, yeah, that was my hope. And I am a fan, by the way. In addition to being a broadcaster for the team for 15 years, I've been a fan of the Sun since I was 13 years old. It's been 30-plus years of cheering for this team. So, uh, you know, I, I can look at it from multiple angles. Part of my job is taking phone calls from fans after games at home. And I, I do the play-by-play -play on the road because we've got a 90-year-old Hall of Famer, Al McCoy, still calling the home games in his final season. It's 50 first as the voice of this team but another element in my life I'm surrounded by attorneys okay I'm married to one I'm the son of one I'm the son-in-law of one and the brother-in-law of one okay they're all around me and so my brain goes to what those folks were probably thinking and I'm talking about the attorneys that are surrounding Adam Silver and the NBA in those offices today as they decided and deliberated whether or not to suspend Nikola Jokic for what happened with Matt Ishbia and I want to take Matt Ishbia out of this conversation, not because he's my boss, but because I just think, in general, the idea of this play is it's a fan with the ball in his hands having it ripped out of his hands by a player. A player should never make any sort of contact with a fan. We all know this, okay? It should never happen. It can't happen because it leads to horrible things, and we've seen them happen in the past. It doesn't lead to anything good. And in fact... It, you you could think about how everything went on last night and how lucky we are that it went the way it did. And I'm glad the fan got taken care of that reached out and tried contact with Nicola. I don't think he was inbounds either. That's out of bounds. But what I'm trying to, to think about is how can the league keep something horrible like the malice from the pal malice in the palace, which I happened to be covering the Pistons at the time. I wasn't at that game. Uh, I was out of town for that game. But yeah, I mean. That I have a lot of friends who are right in the middle of that, and that was horrifying. And if you haven't seen the, the documentary, go watch it. You'll see how horrifying that was. Um, but last night could have led to something even worse, and I don't want to see that in the NBA, and the NBA certainly doesn't want to see that. So my mind is thinking those attorneys are right now probably telling Alan Silver, look, we've got to lay down a law here. By the letter of the law, he should be suspended. 
The other angle of this in my own brain is I told you I'm a fan, right? So I got to come clean with you, yeah. uh, even though this is our first conversation as a group. Uh, I'm thinking in my mind, 15, 16 years ago, the Suns got completely screwed by the league when they had Amari Stoudemire and Boris Diaw get suspended for leaving the bench to try to aid their teammate who just got belted into the side, right? Uh, in, into the scorer's table. That was that storyline. They got uh, suspended. They end up losing to the Spurs, and Suns fans have never ever forgiven the league for that and i don't blame them okay because i'm one of them so these are all the emotions floating around in my head like oh well maybe the suns will get a solid out of this because that went down this will all be karma kind of turning itself upside down but it didn't uh he got fined 25k is what i read i'm yeah. fine with that i didn't want him to be suspended elite flopper though yes yes elite that flopper. was clearly yeah, you know, here's the thing. He still balls. He plays, you know, in like a league with his mortgage company. So he's out there probably trying to draw fouls on his subordinates. John, if Marcus Smart, if I have to watch him do it for two and a half hours every single time the Celtics play, then he could do it himself. All right, so uh, I'm a gambling man. And I no, but real quick, real quick. Go on. Can I ask you guys, because I really am curious, what did yeah. you think should have happened? I don't think he should have been suspended. I, it, just because I thought that there was, one, you're right, the letter of the law. But I think it would have been a really, really bad look for a two-time MVP to get suspended in a crucial Game 5. I think at that point, there's, there's an integrity of the game thing. And if the Suns end up winning this in seven or whatever it is, you don't want an asterisk for Game 5. Okay, so I'm a Suns fan. I'm super pissed because growing up, like I remember the series between the Heat and the Knicks where guys like Ewing are getting, Ewing isn't even available. He's in street clothes, and he gets suspended for Game 5 or Game 6 or whatever. You know, P.J. Brown, all those guys. And you remember that. But I want to see the best product, and I want to see the best players. And if the Suns are going to win, I want to see you know Durant beat Jokic. So yeah, I'm fine with it. But I would get where the uh, where the beef would be. We only got about ten seconds. What do you think happens coming up tomorrow night? The Suns are four and a half point dogs. Do you think they win that game? At least keep it close, or do you think Denver kind of takes care of business and we zigzag the rest of the way until Game Seven? No, I think it's going to be a close game. That's my expectation. I think it's going to be tight tomorrow night. I expect another battle. Last night was an absolute knockdown drag out battle. So I'm looking forward to another one of those tomorrow night. I don't know whether or not they win it. I'm not great with predictions, but uh, I like our chances to stay close at least and give ourselves a shot to get it done.